All right, welcome uh, to Global Digest with myself, Farid Kimani, and of course, Davis Ayega. Uh, first uh, first one in, the, in a series every Monday. Every Monday. Uh, 6.30 to 7.30, you'll find us here talking about all the uh, current affairs, uh, both international and local. Uh, and it is going to be a show where you get to uh, get involved by WhatsApping us on 0701-984-984 or tweeting us uh, using uh, 984, uh, capital FM rather, and hashtag Global Digest. Uh, here we are, this... Uh, Wonderful Monday evening. It's uh, overcast outside. Looks like there's going to be some rain coming up. Another weatherman has predicted that this weekend the long rains will begin. Indeed. Uh, that is a very, very welcome because uh, we should have started last month, really, or at least the beginning of this month. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the weather. No. <laughs> we're here to talk about many things. And we're going to kick it off with the LGBTQ AI plus. I don't want to get canceled, so I'm trying to use all of them uh, <laughs> debate. Uh, this thing is still trending, uh, the conversation is still happening. In bars, in restaurants, at homes, uh, there is a large part of the population that says, why are we even having this discussion? But there is another part of the population that's saying it's time for Kenya to start talking about LGBTQ and the rights of the LGBTQ AI plus community. Um, we know that our president, uh, our deputy president, even our former president, uh, Davis, has come out uh, in, in different times to say, this is not a conversation we need to have right now in Africa, in Kenya. We've got bigger problems. Why is it? Why does it seem to still be a conversation on the tips of tongues of so many people? So we, as we start the conversation, it is very important for people who do not really get to understand what the discussion on LGBTQ AI plus uh, means. So for the one in a million listeners who are listening and they don't really understand what LGBTQ AI plus means, let me break it down for them in the letters in this acronym. So L stands for lesbian. This is women who are attracted to other women. G stands for gay, men who are attracted to other men. B stands for bisexual, it refers to people who are attracted to both men and women or to people of multiple genders. And then we have T, transgender, refers to individuals whose gender identity does not align with the sex they were assigned at birth. And then we have Q, courier or questioning, mm -hmm. refers to individuals who identify as non-heterosexual or non-cisgender but do not fit into one specific category. And then we have I for intersex, a person who is born with physical or biological characteristics that do not fit traditional definitions of male or female. And then we have asexual, a person who does not experience sexual attraction or desire. The plus sign is used to represent the other identities and orientations that fall under the umbrella of the LGBTQAI plus community. The plus is anything that comes along <laughs> while, we, while we're having this conversation globally yes. until the end of time. We have other sexual and gender minor minorities, which include people who identify as pansexual, mm -hmm. sexually or romantically attracted to people of any gender. And then we have non-binary, having a gender identity that Wait. is not simply male or female. I'm confused. <laughs> pansexual or bisexual is not, not the same thing. More or less. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. So, okay. So you've cleared that up. We have gender right. fluid. Not oh. Having, oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> not having one gender or right. moving freely between genders right. and other identities that fall outside of traditional understandings of sexuality and gender. Okay. However, it is important to note that the LGBTQ AI plus 
community is diverse and complex and not all individuals who identify under these labels will have the same experiences or identities fine so, so we go yes please uh i have a question uh about this uh, and it's it's complicated in its own thing but we do understand so for the for lack of a better term lgbtq ai plus right the the community that that makes up this uh or the individuals make up this community the argument is that they deserve to be recognized that they deserve to be have a right to to, to association right the government has come out to say i mean in in an ideal world that would be okay you know what i mean but it's illegal still in our constitution so there has to be you know and I, again i'm not looking to get cancel uh, canceled when i'm doing this i'm just saying where do you draw the line in terms of law versus progression so for me to better answer that question it is very important for our listeners to understand that this whole debate was ignited by the supreme court ruling which they made last month on the 24th that ruled that the ngo's board decision to bar homosexuals from forming recognized groups is discriminatory the court stated that despite homosexuality being illegal in kenya members of this community still have a right of association so in the Kenyan <coughs> law in the Kenyan law context we have the penal code and the constitution so in Kenya same sex activity is illegal and punishable by up to 14 years in prison under section 162 of the Kenya penal code and then the constitution says or rather in the same penal code under section 165 indecent practices between males is also illegal and carries a penalty of up to five years in prison males yes so we're talking about sodomy yes primarily we're talking about sodomy yes. right that is under the kenya penal code correct and now okay go on and then we have the constitution which stipulates under article 45 that recognizes the family as the basic unit of society and provides for its protection and promotion it states that Every adult has the right to marry a person of the opposite sex based on the free consent of the parties. Okay. Yes. Fine. So, let's park that for a moment, all right? Some would say the laws around homosexuality, sodomy, if we're going to use that term, uh, gay rights in Africa are outdated, right? South Africa is a, a, a shining beacon of, you know what, it's fine. If you're gay, you're gay, right? And, and they're not, no one's going to jail. We've seen cases in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I think Malawi, they've jailed people. Tanzania, they've jailed people. Uh, here, we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, gay bashing, uh, people being attacked and even murdered uh, because of their sexual orientation, right? The question that, that has to be asked is, there is the propensity to, to want to say, if we legalize it, it'll become normal, Right. The fear of most people is that it shouldn't be normal. And then, if you legalize it, would there be more backlash on the gay community by a large part of the population, from what I see on social media, what I hear pe uh, people talking about in the gym, uh, in, in bars and restaurants, people I interact with, a large part of the population have a very big problem with even this conversation happening. So where do you draw the line? Supreme Court says they have a right to association. Government says, how is that possible? It's illegal. The act of homosexuality is illegal. How is that possible? What they're saying as the LGBTQAI plus community is, I would like, or we would like to be able to have an association, get funding, and run our association and, and 
for the progression and the rights of the people within our community. The government is turning around and saying, but it's illegal. So where do you draw the line? Because the Supreme Court obviously spoke, government saying, no, that's absolutely not a possibility. So if we were to go to the root of legalizing homosexuality in the country, <clears throat> they will have, there has to be a change to the constitution. So a member of the LGBTQ community or those who are supporting the initiative have to bring amendments to the constitution for it to, for it to, for it to be allowed in Kenya. So someone will have to propose an amendment to alter the constitution on this subject because it touches on the Bill of Rights. But how does that happen? If I decide tomorrow that I want to alter the constitution as a regular citizen, can I do that? Can I put in a request to have, I mean, I mean, I mean, getting it passed through Parliament and all that is a different story. But can I put in a request to alter the Constitution? You can you can do that uh, <clears throat> via the route of Parliament. You have to bring your proposal, stable the same to Parliament, and then a, a relevant committee will be tasked to 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 have a look at the whole issue and then initiate the process of uh, having a referendum. And there's this member of Parliament, Homa Bay town member of parliament wants to bring a bill that imposes a life sentence on those convicted of engaging in homosexuality and other unnatural acts. So he argues that the current legislation is rarely enforced, making it necessary to increase the penalty for those convicted of engaging or promoting same-sex same activity to imprisonment for life or a commensurate sentence. Uh, he spoke some time a week ago. Uh, you can have a listen to what he had to say. On family, there is no backpedaling. And don't call me to say I'll not go to your country. What do, what do we lack in Kenya? Yeah. You can cancel your visa. I was a short while back in a foreign country. And you can imagine being approached by a fellow man asking me to go out and mess with him, sleep with him. <laughs> and the guy has the audacity to tell me I look nicely round. <laughs> can you imagine? What a level of perversion. So, so I'm telling our people that this is an enterprise which is going on. There is no reverse gear, and it is going to succeed. On the day this bill is going to be tabled, it is going to be Kenya versus Sodom and Gomorrah, the other side. Yeah. I mean, that is in itself comedy. I might use that for quarter after laughter <laughs> on tomorrow's Capital in the Morning show because that is comedy. Um, but again, you know, I don't see, see, I have a problem with that. My problem with that is don't go to another country and complain about the way they run their country. If we're saying to ourselves, we're Kenya, we're not going to legalize that mess. You can keep it uh, in your closed rooms. If you're caught, you're going to get life in prison. If we're going to be that small-minded and closed-minded, then we shouldn't be going to San Francisco and coming back and saying it's disgusting because there's a bunch of gays there, right? So I think that, that, there's a, that is, to me, is a double standard, that particular conversation, right? Having said that... Um, I think the pres a former president Uhuru Kenyatta, when he was at the steps of state house having a conversation with uh, former U.S. President Barack Obama, and this con this topic came up, his response was, uh, "We've got bigger problems to worry about." Right? I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and part of me is also like, I mean, we got bandits in the north, we got a drought situation, people can't afford to buy food for their kids or pay school fees. Is it the timing of this conversation that's also pissing people off? The, the timing is also off, considering the current president, President William Bruto, has also been very consistent when it comes to this subject. He said uh, it's not a priority when it comes to Kenya. Even before him being elected as president, he has been very consistent that the topic of legalizing the LGBTQ community in the country is 
not a priority for Kenya. And uh, recently, him and uh, this is one issue that him and uh, his competitor in last year's polls, Raila Odinga, have completely agreed. Can on. they just have a cup of coffee and talk about this, please, <laughs> so they can start getting along? Uh, but before we, we play that 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 clip, uh, Davis. Um, I think it's safe to say that this conversation will not ex- extend beyond a conversation for the next 10 years. You can put it like that, yes. Yeah, okay. yes. We do not want to create a mountain out of a molehill. This is not a big issue for the people of Kenya. When it becomes a big issue for the people of Kenya, the people of Kenya will make a choice. As it is now, we are grappling with 5 million young people who do not have jobs, 4 million people who are hungry, and that is my concern that is the focus of the people of Kenya at the moment. When the issue you have discussed about homosexuality and the rights of LGBT will come, the people of Kenya will make a choice and we will respect the choice of the people of Kenya. So, you know, that there is, there is good and bad in what he's talking about, right? He's saying there's more pressing issues to talk about right now. But I can understand if you're a member of this community feeling like you don't count, like you don't have a voice. Um, imagine if the Asian community, for example, was marginalized. You know what I mean? Uh, or, I mean, and, and we've seen it in our neighboring countries, right? Uganda and Tanzania, both in the past. Uh, so I can kind of understand that the two sides to the coin, but I think the president is is using our real problems to not have to deal with this issue. That's what I think. As it still, as 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 things still, as things stands now, the ruling of the Supreme Court stands. The members of the LGBTQ community have a right to form their organization. But even so, the Attorney General, Justin Muturi, has said we will be moving to court to seek an interpretation of that ruling. So in the meantime, the members of the LGBTQ AI plus community have the right to form that uh, organization of theirs. Well, they better do it quickly. They better do it quickly <laughs> because if that interpretation is, is sought, then it means we will be moving into a different direction when it comes to this conversation. It it will mean they have to go back to the High Court I, to, uh, to, to, to protest the ruling of the of whichever outcome will come from the Supreme Court. And I'm certain this will be something we'll talk about at least twice a month on this show and until we have some sort of finality to it. Uh, you mentioned that the Deputy President and uh, Opposition Leader Raila Odinga also share the same sentiments on homosexuality as our President. Yes, in fact, Gashagwa said that the whole conversation about Homosexuality is demonic and should not be tolerated. This is what he had to say. Watu wanauliza wewe wewe rigijina ni mtu ya kusema ukweli bwana hujaongea. Mimi nilishangaa nikashindwa kuongea. Ati kuna chama ati ya kutetea ati wanaume waoe wanaume ati wamama waoe wamama. Sasa hiyo ni mambo gani hiyo? Sasa mama akioa mama mwingine wataabiana nini? Hiyo maneno hatutaki. Hiyo ni mambo ya kishetani. In any case we have our traditions and customs and what they are suggesting is repugnant to morality and justice and a way of life. Opposition leader Raila Opposition leader Raila Odinga has been consistent when it comes to this issue and in fact he said the constitution should be should be followed when it comes to this issue. Okay, uh, so that wraps it up for that uh, discussion uh, topic. Let's move on now. Uh, this has obviously been in the news for the last couple of days, uh, 60 days in, 120 days in, and now here we are with a scorecard for our current president, William Ruto. Before Davis breaks it down for us and where we stand on uh, on the president's scorecard, it's important to note that, uh, and I've said it before on Capital in the Morning, and I think I've said it with, uh, I think we've had this discussion as well, Davis. Uh, my my 
concern and it's in every country in the world during campaigning promises are made and then when you know the rubber meets the road or when the when the shoes hit the pavement uh the situation or well, they say the, the it's different here on the ground right this is what he's saying for that as well right yeah. or shang saying for that um it is different on the ground he is struggling to fulfill promises that he said would be handled immediately cost of living keeps going up and today unga went up again or it's going up again cost of fuel um I'm, and i'm telling you now i i cost, constantly say if thika road is not busy this country is broke and thika road is not busy what is the scorecard and where is he failing and where is he succeeding in his uh, first 100 what 130 135 days 181 days it's been 181 six exactly six months today. six months first six months so it has been six months for him since he was inaugurated last year in September he came into office on a populist ticket that issued grand promises to Kenyans notably to lower the high cost of living so it has been six months of baptism by the head of state during the campaigns he was he was very vocal on his promise that he will lower the country's cost of living once elected well to date there are mixed feelings on whether he has fulfilled this pledge So there was a recent survey which was conducted by the Infotruck that actually said the government was headed the, uh, the the country is headed into the wrong direction and they went far ahead to to grade how president William Ruto has performed since he was elected and they said they actually gave him a D plus him with his entire cabinet so a D means that the government has not fully met its campaign pledges no i mean it's it's very close to failing Yes, right? D is that grade that, you know, the kid who you know, walks in circles can't really get out of that that category. So, uh I mean, a C would be average, a B would be good, and A would be very good. If you're going to go by the American grading system, D is one above failing, which is F. Um but why? The, what are the reasons? What are the reasons he's failing? What is it is it because the promises made? Like, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, former president Uhuru Kenyatta made a lot of promises for his what is it 20 stadiums and one laptop per child all of those things but i think what could be hurting our current president is he was part of the broken promises of the previous government as well the president personally is a very ambitious man is is sometimes he can get too over ambitious but for us to really get to understand why the government is slow in delivering its campaign promises we have to look at the Kenya Kwanza manifesto they promised 10 things in the manifesto agriculture and food security we have uh, micro small and medium enterprises we have housing and settlement we have healthcare we have ICT and creative economy we have infrastructure we have education we have gender we have uh, governance and security services in all of these promises the president actually seems to be doing well when it comes to the issues of agriculture and uh, bettering the welfare of the farmers in the country so ruto during the campaigns he promised that his government would invest 500 billion shillings in agriculture and small businesses over five years so to date that investment will include it will include providing animal feed and seeds to boost yields he has since lowered the cost of fertilizer to 3500 shillings from 6500 shillings per 50 kilogram Back. That's fine, but that's uh, f- we have a lot of farmers. No, listen, listen, I'm not I'm not saying we don't, but there's a lot of there's a lot more other people than farmers. So while fertilizer and agricultural necessities are dropping in price, the regular person who doesn't farm, who's working for, you know, whether it's a 
a day wage or monthly wage is paying an exorbitant amount of money for necessities as well. This is where the problem, this therein lies the issue that we have right now, and this is why the D-plus is a D-plus. So agriculture is done well. Any of the other 10 that he's done well in? So this is where now the... The person who's not in farming comes to benefit in on the issue of gender number two, micro, small and medium enterprises. So here we are talking about the Hustler Fund. Yes, which has been a massive success. Yes, yes, to date. Yeah. So the Hustler Fund, the president uh, on November launched the 50 billion shillings fund that enabled Kenyans to borrow loans up to 50,000 shillings at an 8% interest rate. So according to him, the fund supports underdeserved Kenyans with services and products that are responsive to their enterprises. It also liberates them from Shylocks and establishing a culture of saving investment and social security. So when it comes to Haslefan, the president, no doubt, he has been very big when it comes to this somewhat pet pet project. Okay, so Hustler Fund, so that is uh, MSMEs and gender. Yes. Sorted. And then we have the housing settlement, which he promised that he will construct 250,000 houses every year for low-income earners. So to date, the president has commissioned at least 35,000 units in different places in the country. We we talk about in Mukuru, Rongai, Kibera, Stare, Kisumu, Homa Bay, and Siaya. For this one, I am 100% on board with the lack of dignity based on living conditions is something no one should have to go through right i have seen it here i've seen it in large part in india and it is appalling that in 2023 and i know it happens in other south american countries brazil etc etc uh it's appalling in 2023 people are still living this way uh this low-income housing uh that is affordable for people that currently are in let's I mean, quote-unquote, informal settlements, but really slums. That, to me, I'm 100% on board with, and I hope it's a success. So those are the three big pluses. We have ICT and Creative Economy, where he has promised to digitize all the government services. So as of last week, uh, the government has digitized digitized 5,000 services aimed to bolster the delivery of services to Kenyans. So here you can find key, among other services, uh, marriage certificates, uh, in the e-citizen platform. So according to the ICTCS, Eli Duwalo, uh, Kenyans will also have a digital ID by next year. You remember the Uduma number thing. So the government dropped that and said by next year, so they're estim- they projecting that every Kenyan will have a digital ID by next year. Okay, and I, I believe that will happen. I, I firmly believe with the with the speed and swiftness he's digitized government services, you're about 5,000. That is a massive number in 181 days, right? Sure. Um, I believe that we will have digital IDs next year, which is really cool. Really, really cool. Okay, any other... Uh, so now the... the There's gender. He's also done well <coughs> on gender. He has since proposed some amendments to Parliament to actualize the two-thirds gender, which is a constitutional provision that requires that no more than two-thirds of the members of elective or appointive bodies in government shall be of the same gender. Right. In his cabinet as well, he has done well to appoint women in the cabinet. So out of the 22, he has appointed six cabinet secretaries who are women. And then on the cabinet level portfolio, he has also put women. He has, there's Masi Wanjao, who is the secretary to the cabinet. We have Monica Juma, who is the national security advisor. And Harriet Chigai, who is the women rights agency Advisor. So on gender, he's also doing but, well. But, but that's just a continuation of his predecessor. Because former President Uhuru Kenyatta 
made it a point to put women in in positions that were crucial to running of the government. I mean, I'm not saying it was this two-thirds rule, but it was that trajectory started during the former president. Of course, William Ruto was part of that. A big, I mean, a massive part of that government. He's number two, right? Um, okay, so gender, agriculture, ICT, and... Uh, there's also governance. Also so governance. Like, how did he get a D? He seems to be doing really well. <laughs> there's also governance. He has proposed some amendments to have the creation of the office of the opposition leader, which he says once created, it will boost accountability in the country. This office will ensure that his government is run accordingly. Yeah, but I'm also thinking, is the opposition leader going to accept that <laughs> as his as his you know com- com- commiseration prize? Um, you know, obviously, there's still a huge debate going on between who won this election between uh, Raila Odinga and William Ruto. Where is the biggest, because we're running out of time on this topic, where is the biggest struggle for our current president? Where is the hardest category to kind of get his head around and, and make progress? The president is... is at his level, is trying his best to lower the cost of living. And recently, he announced that the prices of cooking gas will be reduced from the current 2,000 shillings to a minimum of 300 shillings. That's a huge saving. By June. Yeah, I That's did a, see that, yeah. So, if indeed he will have this pass, then that will mean he would have played a big part in lowering the cost of living because many Kenyans really use... Uh, petrol is, is a means of is a means of many for Kenyans when it comes to basic livelihoods. Absolutely. So if he achieves this, which means uh, that uh, the, the cost of the cost of living will tremendously go down. I just literally uh, bought a new gas cylinder for my oven at home. It was 3,300 shillings. And I don't remember it ever being that expensive. However, it is unclear how the drop in prices will be achieved given the global trends in the cost of the And commodity. also, he can't go for a subsidy because he's been hammering the subsidy... Uh, habit of our former president, and that, and and literally saying that's the reason uh, we are in this mess to begin with. Our only or prayer, one of the reasons, our only yeah. prayer will be he is not politicizing this issue of lowering the cost of living because since he was elected, he has trained his guns on the businesses of uh, uh, the his predecessor Uhuru Kenyatta and that of uh, Raila Odinga because you remember uh, you you. Uh, the former prime minister, he's heavily invested in the petroleum industry. Mm-hmm. So if at all he's targeting to cripple his businesses, then it will be unfortunate for many Kenyans who will be waiting to see the realization of his promise in June. And this this happened when the election first, when the results first came out. If you remember, we had an immediate lack of fuel in most gas stations, right? True. Okay, we will move on from this now. We'll take a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk all about uh, Nigeria elections. If comedy... If a country was a stand-up comedy routine, it's Nigeria during elections. That's coming up. Plus, of course, uh, Kabuga. Uh, and, of course, we'll get some international news as well. We'll talk about the Russia-Ukraine war a little bit, uh, the closure of SVB Bank and what it means for the startup industry globally. And, of course, uh, Gary Lineker's... Uh, uh, Debacle. Not, yeah, which yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-Gary. I am, I am team Lineker on this one. All right, welcome back to Global Digest uh, with myself, Farid Kimani, and of course, my uh, trusty co-anchor, Davis Ayega, uh, as we discuss all things current affairs. We have, uh, for those just tuning in, we have had a lengthy discussion on the LGBTQAI debate. We've also had a lengthy discussion on President uh, William Ruto's six months in office. Now, let's move uh, to uh, African news and talk a little bit about the Nigerian elections. It has been a comedy of of sorts uh, from the beginning, from 
politicians digging up roads so people couldn't get to a place to vote, uh, to um, uh, intim- people going to polling centers, massive guys going to polling centers, intimidating voters to vote for a different candidate. Um, and now they have a president who is the exact opposite of our president. He's old and frail, 70 plus, um, and yet Nigerians seem to just move on very quickly. Yes. Uh, but is there any... Obviously, there has been some um, um, questionable uh, election uh, and vote counting, some questionable result tallying. Uh, but yet Nigerians don't seem to have the same hangovers and hang-ups that we do here in Kenya when these things happen. A lesson we should learn. So Nigerians went to the polls on February 25th in, a le- in an election that was described as the country's hotly contested uh, since the military rule ended back in 1999. The election was mostly peaceful in a country where attacks, ethnic tensions and clashes between rival supporters have marred past votes. Interestingly, the interesting part of that election is that 93 million people were eligible to vote, but only 25 million people voted. There were Wait, 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 wait. Wait. You need to say that again. <laughs> 93 million people were eligible to vote, but only 25 million people. <coughs> so that's a quarter. That's a Roughly quarter. a quarter. Yes. Yeah, okay. Remember, Nigeria has a population of 219 million people. So not even half registered to vote, and then a quarter of that half. So if you take the whole population of the country, it's a tenth of the population. One-tenth of the population that went out that, that actually went out and voted by, I mean, that they are counting votes from, right? One-tenth. Um, but there has the but they, but it's very it's very clear that there was some dirty dealings going on within the election in Nigeria. I love Nigerians and Nigerians' reaction to this. So they found it funny. So the poll attracted eighteen candidates for the presidency, but it was mostly a three-horse race between the candidates who include uh, Atiku Abubakar, aged seventy-six, and then we have uh, Bola Tinubu, who actually now won the polls, and then we have uh, Peter Obi. So the winner of the polls. Bola Tinubu garnered 8.8 million votes. He was followed by Atiku Abubakar, who garnered 6.9 million votes. And then we have Peter Obi, who garnered 6.1 million votes. So this is a very close election. It was a it is it was a close election, and the especially two and three poll losers have argued, have protested the election results, and have since vowed to move to the Supreme Court to challenge the results. They are saying. There was massive irregularities during the voting and the counting process during the election. Do they have the, a similar framework, machinery that we have here? Do they take it as seriously in Nigeria? I mean, when it comes to credibility, when it comes to transparency, you know, when we saw what happened leading up to this election, and by and large, the last, at least the last two before this, right? Um, do they have a similar machinery there that they that that people are held accountable? I mean, it's a massive country, man, 220 million people. Um, so, so and and also massive in terms of its landmass. It's a big country. Do they have the same kind of infrastructure when it comes to elections? So Nigeria has had 10 presidential elections since gaining independence from Britain in 1960. And at least all of them have often been marred, marked by fraud allegations <laughs> and uh, violence. It is, however, the 2015 election that was described to be relatively peaceful. It was okay. historic in the sense that it saw the incumbent president defeated in a democratic election. The outgoing president, Buhari, defeated President Jonathan Goodluck Good yeah. of the People's Democratic Party. I do remember Party. that, and it was a massive, massive African uh, 
success story when it comes to elections that an incumbent president loses and agrees to step down. We don't see that a lot in Africa. In fact, there's an old saying that says the incumbent in Africa never loses. That was um, historic. Yes, so that was historic. But this election has gone completely the other way. So now the poll losers, the uh, Peter Obi and Atiku Abubakar, have until March the 22nd to file their petition at the Supreme Court to challenge the election results. So already Obi has vowed to mount a legal challenge in court. And uh, he's saying that uh, he will prove to the people of Nigeria that he indeed won the election. And Abubakar on his part described the outcome of the election as rape to the country's democracy. Okay, that's some strong words there as well. Let's move away from Nigeria now and move closer to home. Rwanda uh, genocide, the trial of uh, Felicia and Kabuga uh, has been halted over dementia claims. Um, Again, um, one of the biggest players in the genocide, one of the biggest masterminds in the genocide. Um, Many people would like to see him, you know, face some sort of uh, lethal injection or, you know, but yet now they're going to... Uh, w- so what is the story here? So the Rwanda genocide is widely regarded as one of the world's atrocities of the 20th century and its legacy continues to be felt in Rwanda and beyond. So the genocide was a mass slaughter of the Tutsi and moderate Hutu people in Rwanda in 1994, carried out by Hutu extremists in the government, military and civilian population. It began on the 6th of April 1994 when a plane carrying the former Rwandan president, the late juvenile Habriyamane, was shot down over Kigali, the capital Rwanda. So following the assassination, a wave of killings began across the country with Hutu militias aided by the government and military targeting Tutsi's people and moderate Hutu who opposed the genocide. So Felician Kabuga, who is currently 90 years of age was has been largely accused of masterminding the massacre but also one of the last remaining masterminds of the massacre as well it's always an unfortunate situation when you're like the last man standing you know or last woman standing because they've 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 got to get closure at some point and you're like the only person that they can kind of go after absolutely so he he's been he he has he was on the run for decades but he was Arrested in France in May 2020, after more than two decades on the run, he was charged with the genocide, complicity in genocide and incitement to commit genocide by the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. So the, the trial began back in September 2021 at the Mechanism for International Criminals Tribunal, which was established by the United Nations to carry out the work of the United Nations. He pleaded not guilty to all charges and the trial is ongoing. So recently the trial was halted with his lawyers citing that he has dementia. Okay. And 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 I mean but surely that I mean so it's just stopped. So what that means uh as as the people of Rwanda wait for justice uh I think an assessment will have to be done on him and then the court will come back and sit and decide if the trial should continue but but even with the trial without the trial even if he doesn't go to trial surely there's enough evidence already that this man was responsible for you know tens of thousands of murders we're not even talking about deaths these are murders i had the uh, unfortunate uh, experience but it's important to go to the genocide memorial one of the hardest things i've ever had to do in my life uh, is to see some of the video footage uh, and people talking about what they went through this is not um 
you know, a killing of a small group of people. This is absolute murder of tens of thousands. Trying to wipe out an entire population. I basically. agree. There's there's sufficient evidence which is linking him to the massacre because he he he, he had he was the financier of a radio station that uh, I remember this that started the the genocide. Yes, yeah, that, that primarily was the the means of communication that incited yeah. the people there to long before Facebook, long before Twitter. Radio uh, was used in Rwanda to spread the word and to to mobilize uh, the Hutu majority to kill. I think at the tail end, the justice will be served. The people of Rwanda, as much as yes, there have been tremendous uh, uh, improvement when it comes to moving on. Uh, there will be justice at the end of. Uh, it's hard to move on. This was not this 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 didn't happen in the forties or the fifties or the sixties because thousands of lives. This were is lost. in the nineties. Yes. 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 All right. We take another break. We come back. We get to international news. The Russia-Ukraine war. Ukraine continually uh, continues to get pummeled by Russian missiles, and that hasn't stopped over the course of the last few days. What does the SVB closure mean for startups globally? And Gary Lineker's uh, comments about. Uh, uh, a decision by the Prime Minister and referring to it as Nazi-esque. All that coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Global Digest. Uh, my name is Farid Kimani and with me, of course, is Davis Ayego. We have discussed so far the LGBTQ debate, uh, President Ruto's scorecard after six months, the Marred and disputed election in Nigeria. Felician Kabuga's uh, claims of dementia, but now we move into some international news. Uh, and uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, we've just passed the 100-day mark about uh, a week, 10 days ago. A week ago, uh, yes. A week ago, yep. Um, and yet, uh, it doesn't seem like we are getting anywhere closer to a uh, resolution between the two countries. Uh, or a winner of the war, either. Um, again, areas of Ukraine pummeled by missiles just the other day. Day before yesterday, I think. Um I mean, what, what, is this just is this going to be one of these long-term conflicts that's just going to become part of our lives that we just kind of move on from? It will have to end at some point because since Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, there has been massive loss of lives and property. And uh, the world leaders have uh, tried to come in and plead with the two leaders of Russia and Ukraine to end the war. And uh, the United States president, Joe Biden, has been very instrumental in leading these talks in ending this war. But, but before you continue there, I have, I have a question. And my question is, um, you know, donating tanks and weaponry and all that fine. Why is no one getting involved? Are they, is, is Russia, is, is Vladimir Putin that much of a frightening prospect? that no country wants to get involved. No one wants to get their hands dirty, go into the Ukraine. The Ukrainians are fighting this war on their own. They are, people are coming out of, footballers are coming out of retirement, I mean, coming out of, leaving their clubs and, and uh, you know, people are quitting their jobs just so they can fight. And, and it's an incredible resilience by the Ukrainian people, by the way. And what patriots of their country, they will not allow, this will not happen lying down. But why is no other country getting involved? I think getting involved will mean that uh it will be an emergency of another world war, World War Three. So the world leaders are taking a, a sit back, uh, leaving the uh, bodies like the United Nations to to initiate talks of a ceasefire between these two countries. And the United Nations has basically been doing that, has been involved in efforts to end the the, the, the war that has left many people dead. So the UN has played a role in facilitating negotiations and peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. But both men, 
Vladimir Putin and really strongly um, um, uh, Zelensky. More Zelensky has said there will be no dialogue. We will die on this ground. There will be no dialogue. Even Putin himself has been very bullish when it comes to not accepting to negotiate. And when the the, the, the war actually marked an anniversary, uh, he struck a very bullish tone and accused the Western countries of igniting and sustaining the war in Ukraine, dismissing any blame for Moscow. He accused the West of launching aggressive information attacks and taking aim at Russian culture, religion and values because it was aware that it was impossible to defeat Russia on the battlefield. But they are the rest of the world is afraid of Putin and they're afraid of what he can do if he's pushed into a corner. That's my honest take on it. I feel because right now, I mean, you've got superpowers that are out there running their mouths and saying, how can the Germany and, you know, England and, you know, um, in the United States, but really, truly, everyone's just kind of like, do you want to get involved? No, 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 no. That's 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 their problem, you know. Um, and you've got countries that are supporting Russia. China as well is is is, is backing Russia, and there's another number of other countries as well. True. The, the, I have a fear, and I've been doing a lot of reading about Africa's turn towards Russia. It does seem that Putin is trying to influence Africa as well. If you look at the uh, the president of the African Union uh, coming out and saying uh, that you know that they will. They they they're not they're not well, they're not going to uh, what's the word I'm looking for they're not going to ignore Russia just because Russia has started this war so there is also that as well Putin is looking for a new place to to influence and Africa could be the next big frontier. You mentioned the African Union, so the EU has taken a relatively minor role in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, focusing instead on its mandate of promoting peace and security in Africa, but uh, other countries as well, uh, like you mentioned China, they have been pressuring China to condemn the to condemn Russia on its aggression on Ukraine. <coughs> so this is definitely uh, an invasion that has left many world leaders uh, astonished by how Russia has, uh, has has gone ahead to do massive destruction in in Ukraine. And and and, and the world is kind of just oh CNN oh more buildings being leveled. Oh, you know, and and it does seem like Ukraine makes some headway, and then all of a sudden Russia just loads them with uh, with weapons. The other two days ago, we've seen absolute devastation and destruction in the Ukraine. I mean, you, when you think about buildings collapsing and and you know museums and you know places of worship being blown up, schools, I for some reason it what comes into my mind is is the people that are behind because we often forget we just see buildings going up we don't really think about the people behind the loss of life as you mentioned when we started this 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 segment the loss of life has been astro- we don't even have an idea uh at the numbers at this point of the loss of life as much as the u.s president is focusing on his re-election bid he has been at the forefront in uh, pushing russia to hold back and uh, let ukraine so as the war marked its one-year anniversary, this is what the president had to say. The United States, together with our allies and partners, are going to continue to have Ukraine's back as it defends itself. Next year, I will host every member of NATO for our 2024 summit in the United States. Together, we'll celebrate the 75th anniversary of the strongest defensive alliance in the history of the world, NATO. And let there be no doubt, commitment of the United States to our NATO alliance and Article 5 is rock solid. And every member of NATO knows it, and Russia knows it as well. An attack against one is attack against all. 
It's a sacred oath, sacred oath to defend every inch of NATO territory. I have a problem with this. Uh, my problem is, is that he's talking about 2024. So he's almost telling us that in 2024, they'll still be talking about Russia and Ukraine. The two countries will still be at war. There'll still be the invasion happening. And that's a frightening prospect. Absolutely, because the effects of the war are have been tremendous. We are talking about international relations, humanitarian crisis, the energy security. We are talking about cyber security. Even here in Kenya, the war has adversely affected us when it comes to Absolutely. the prices of basic commodities skyrocketing and also when it comes to issues of energy in the country. The war has had a huge impact in the world and I think it's high time it has to come to an end. Right. Uh, and if it doesn't come to an end, are we going to see, because a lot of the the, the economic challenges we're facing as a, glo- as, the, uh, 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 yeah, as a globe, as the world, are based on the knock-on effect from this conflict, right? I mean, you've got one country that supplies, you know, a lot of agricultural goods to the world, another country that supplies most of the gas uh, to the world, uh, and they're at war with each other. So those things are kind of not available right now. As long as that war goes on, are we going to continue to see these struggles happening and everyone paying more and looking for something else? And, you know, who else can supply this? And it's going to cost... Because, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to look like, oh, poor me, I can't, I've got to pay more for gas and people are dying. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that we take away from what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. But the longer this war goes on, the longer the knock-on effect on the global economy will be. Absolutely. And in the as, as that happens, the here in Kenya, the president has to be very... Diverse has to be very intelligent when it comes to coming up with strategies that will ensure that the people do n- are not really adversely affected by this war. Here I'm talking about lowering the cost of living, ensuring that the prices of basic commodities come down. And we'll be here in June. We'll see if the prices of the cooking gas will go down. Uh, going back to that, food sovereignty is what we need. Yes. Uh, which for me, I use that term instead of food security. We need to be sovereign over our own food, and we are not. If we're getting grain, and we live in one of the most perfect climates, okay, given this year and has been pretty bad in terms of rainfall, but we are still not growing our own enough of our own food to feed our own population. Forget forget Africa. Women say we should be the breadbasket of Africa. Forget Africa. We still don't make enough food to feed our own people. That is why the president is very is very keen on ensuring the agricultural sector works and is is committed to pumping billions of shillings to ensuring that Kenya becomes food secure. Okay, food sovereign. That's my term. Yes. All right, yes, SVB closure. I'm, I'm just seeing, you know, I've got to be honest with you, Davis. I don't know a lot about this. I do know uh, that startups across the world are absolutely panicking right now. Um, so maybe SVP is a startup, uh, um, uh, Silicon Valley bank, right? Uh, the bank has closed. What is the story? And what does it mean? So for our listeners to better get to understand that story, I'll take you back to 2016 during the times of Chess Bank. You remember Chess Mm, Bank? Very much so. So the bank was placed under receivership by CBK then following discovery of irregular transaction and insider lending. So the bank management used various illegal means to inflate the bank's financial statements and conceal the true extent of its financial problems. So when that discovery was made because of the panic customers decided to withdraw their monies from the bank. So this is actually what is happening for the SVB bank. Customers decided to withdraw their monies after the bank decided to dump its assets and raise more 
money for the bank so the the panic has, is is what has caused the uh, is what has prompted the the, the problems for the SVB bank, the Silicon Valley bank. Okay, but this means for start, a lot of startups got their funding, got their loans from this bank. Now the bank itself is causing a ripple effect through the startup world. Uh, and Silicon Valley, obviously, we know is the home to technology. Um, so so what does that mean for those, uh, those startups that are going to lose their funding or are going to lose everything? It is what it is, yes, when you put it like that, because I've also seen the president, Joe Biden, has today assured that uh, there are safety regulations, there are bank safety regulations that will ensure the depositors of the bank get to uh, not to lose any of their uh, investments. Right. Yes. So, so that is the challenge they're having there. But I'm also told now, or oh, I read today that the UK is also, there's a knock-on effect for UK startups and tech, tech companies as well. I'll just read you something here as well. Uh, as the preferred bank for the tech sector, SVB services were in hot demand throughout the pandemic years. Uh, it's only a, The bank is only four years old, by the way, so it's quite a young bank. The initial market shock of COVID-19 in early 2020 quickly gave way to a golden period for startups and established tech companies as consumers spent big on gadgets and digital services. Uh, so this is where SVB grew. Uh, but however, However, the seeds of its demise were sown when it invested heavily in long-dated U.S. government bonds, including those backed by mortgages. These were, for all intents and purposes, as safe as houses. And you know the term as safe as houses means that things are not as safe as they should be. So that is the story there as well. And uh, now SVB, um, and and I I was talking to a friend of mine who's in the startup space here in Africa who said that that actually will have a knock-on effect on startups here in Africa as well. So that is a challenge there. Final one. I think this topic, Mr. Gishinga and our programs director Danny Munyu will have to talk about it tomorrow in the financial forecast for more in-depth analysis. 100%. Yeah. Uh, final com- uh, final topic or segment uh, today, let's talk about this Gary Lineker tweet. Uh, Gary Lineker uh, tweeted, uh, let me just open it here. Uh, I don't know if you have the tweet there, uh, Davis, but I'll find it if you don't. Uh, Gary Lineker tweeted uh, that, uh, I'll, let me find it. But anyway, Gary Lineker was, uh, was uh, uh, removed, suspended from match of the day. Uh, because of a tweet he made, which we'll read to you in just a moment as well. Um, in absolute solidarity, his co-hosts and the commentary team for Match of the Day also walked out. He will be reinstated in a week. What was so sensitive about what he said? So football fanatics in the United Kingdom were over the weekend treated to drama after the country's longest-running football television program in the world. Much of the day was temporarily disrupted. It followed a series of twists by the host Gary Lineker, who criticised the UK government of its plans to introduce a new asylum policy in tackling immig- immigration. So after his tweets, the BBC management decided to pull him off air, saying that he had uh, the, the issue about impartiality. Mm-hmm. He's not allowed to comment on political and current affairs issues. So after that tweet, the BBC team decided to pull him off air and then a flurry of reactions fo- followed later with commentators and pundits also in, sol- in solidarity saying they will not uh, grace the show. Uh, the tweet says, there is no huge influx. We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language. Uh, that is not dissimilar to that used of Germany in the 30s. Am I and, I and I'm out of order. That's a tweet. Now, here's my... I Immediately I saw this policy being put in place by Rishi Sunak. Um, um, I realized at that point that it is an absolutely it is a decision based on the color of people's skin and I'm going to tell you why when Russia invaded Ukraine what did the UK do 
They even moved Ukrainian families and children into homes of British people by giving them a stipend to look after these families and these these individuals from Ukraine. The countries that that are trying to cross from Calais into Dover uh, via the channel on these boats, many of whom die on that crossing. Um, these countries are countries that have been at war for 10, 15, 20 years. These are Iraqis, these are Libyans, these are uh, Afghani, Afghanis uh, and other countries as well. What is the difference of the war that's going on in their country than the war that's going on in the Ukraine? What is the difference? That's my number one question. Number two, my father was an immigrant to the UK, so this is very close to my heart. But the real question I'm asking is, you're stopping a guy or a family or a child who's fled Iraq because it's, or Afghanistan when the Taliban took over, but you're not stopping a Ukrainian from crossing the border and coming, uh, coming through Poland to get to the UK? I have a, a serious, it's a complete double standard in my opinion. It's a sad story considering the Prime Minister himself. The, the, the parents of the Prime Minister were immigrants who were here in Kenya, then later moved to India, and then the current Prime Minister was born in the United Kingdom. So the UK has historically been a country of immigration with a significant number of people from various countries and backgrounds <coughs> living and working in the country. So for this policy, I think the Labour members of parliament in the UK have to be very vocal about it in ensuring that it does not get the approval of parliament. No, it, it, it's an absolute disgrace is what it is. I'm sorry to say it. I'll say it again. You cannot do this to people. You cannot do this in a country that is supposed to be a country that welcomes people with open arms. You know, the whole thing is if you are if you cross illegally in a court, you will be banned from the UK for life. These people are fleeing a war, not very different to the war that's happening in the Ukraine. But just because they're not Europeans, they are not allowed. And I have a problem with that, especially when the prime minister is the son of immigrants. It doesn't make any sense at all. That's all we have time for, Davis. That wraps it up for us. Uh, we'll see you back here Monday again, 6.30 to 7.30, uh, with another great edition of this incredible show, Global Digest. It is, of course, now 7.30 in time for the news.